Thank you for tuning into the Pictures of Lily podcast. I'm your host, Lily Moayeri. I have been a music journalist since 1992, and I interview a lot of music-related people. This podcast, which is named after the song by The Who, is about my experience behind the story, what my experience is doing the interviews, just to give you a snapshot of what it's like on the other side of the digital recorder. Pictures of Lily. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Pictures of Lily podcast. This is episode 49. You can find us on every platform by going to picturesoflily.com, where you can subscribe or follow us and also connect to us on SoundCloud, YouTube, Pandora, and Amazon. Although it's really best to listen to the podcast straight from the source at picturesoflily.com, as it is the best quality audio and avoids copyright restrictions. In this episode, I talk about my experiences with the charlatans over the last 30 years. Here are a few snapshots of my experiences with the charlatans. The Charlatans came through on the Manchester wave in 1990. A lot of bands that were not actually from Manchester rode that wave, and the Charlatans were one of them. Out of the five members, four of them were from the Midlands of the UK, and their vocalist, Tim Burgess, was from a town outside of Manchester called Northwich. This tiny town is where the record store that carried their early releases, including the Charlatans' first ever single, Indian Rope, was based. The record store was called Omega Records, and the record label they established was called Dead Dead Good. My favorite charlatan song, Sproston Green, is named after a park in Northwich. So although most of the charlatans were not from Manchester, Tim's association with Northwich made the band Manchester adjacent. I first heard them on K-Rock, the world-famous radio station out here in Los Angeles. I was instantly hooked because how can you not get hooked on the charlatans' unforgettable song, The Only One I Know? I saw the video late night on 120 Minutes on MTV and I was so obsessed. I started listening to K-Rock more regularly so I could hear more of the Charlatans' music. My friends at the time and I were very into the bands of that scene, but the Charlatans were our top choice. When the Charlatans did their first tour of North America in 1991, we bought tickets for San Diego, Los Angeles, and San Francisco. We'd become so wrapped up in them, we had developed our own language. Those shows were so amazing and transcendent. Every time I hear a song from that first album, it takes me right back to those moments. And when I see the Charlatans perform now, when they play those songs, especially Sprost and Green, I feel like I'm having an out-of-body experience. We made friends with one of the roadies, Ian Unit, and stayed in touch with him by actually writing letters. I was going to the UK that summer for eight weeks on a very badly planned trip. Badly planned because I thought I could stay with relatives and friends of my parents, but my relatives didn't really have the space and my parents' friends felt responsible for me, so they wouldn't let me go out at night. I ended up squatting next door to my aunt, which worked out really well until I got kicked out by the council. At that point, I thought now is a good time as any to visit Ian because I've become unhoused in London. He told me it was a bad time to come, but I went anyway and we ended up getting kicked out of his house by his dad and sleeping on the floor of the video store where his mom worked. 
He was filling in for her as she was away visiting friends, so he had keys to the place. We also slept at the train station in Crewe, which was a nearby town. This went on for about four or five days, and thinking back on it now, I can't believe I did it. But on that first night, we were walking around town, and when we were approaching Sproston Green, the park, the song started playing in my head, and Ian said, this is Sproston Green. I already knew because the song is the essence of the place, and the place is the song. It wasn't until the fourth Charlatans album that I interviewed them, which was in 1995, and by then I had done many interviews with various bands. I interviewed Mark Collins first for Hits Magazine, and then I was supposed to interview Tim when they came through town on tour. I went to the American Legion Hall where they were playing in the afternoon, as that's when their publicist had told me to show up for the interview. The first person I saw was John Brooks, the Charlatans' drummer. John was very nice and very flirty and friendly, and he just swept me along with the band and everything they were doing. I don't actually remember this interview with Tim, but apparently I did do an interview because I have it in my diary. I don't know who it was for or when it got done, but I do remember so many things about that afternoon and evening. I spent a lot of time in the charlatans' dressing room, and it was like we'd known each other forever. I felt like a member of the inner circle. I remember Tim had gotten a tattoo and I went to Ralph's to buy some Noxzema for him to put on it. It was some Chinese characters and he told me for all he knew, it said chicken chow mein. We went back to the hotel and even that felt natural and like I'd been with the charlatans from the start of their existence. They were on tour with Menswear, whom I had met earlier in the year in New York when I interviewed them. And I knew Menswear's sound engineer, Beth, so it was all very friendly and fun. I went up to San Francisco with them to keep the fun going and it just kept going. Blur were up there at the same time, and they came to hang out at the hotel after the Charlatans and Menswear show. It was a very memorable time. Two years later, I was flown to London to interview the Charlatans for their album Tellin' Stories for Detour magazine, and that was really special for me. For one thing, it was my birthday. I flew out on my birthday, and when I landed, my birthday was over, but I was spending the day with the Charlatans. At this point, their keyboard player Rob Collins had died in a car crash, and things were strange without him. I brought it up to Tim when I interviewed him this year, and I also told him how resistant I was to anyone taking Rob's place. This is what Tim told me. There were lots of times when I thought, is it going to work without him? It was pretty hard, even though we had Martin Duffy of Primal Scream helping us finish telling stories, it was really difficult to think that we could continue without Rob. That interview in London was also the first time I met photographer Chris Floyd, who took such amazing pictures of the band in the parking garage of the hotel. I was there when he was doing the shoot, and I thought, what the hell is he doing? And then I saw the pictures, and they're truly amazing, and Chris is such a talent. The Charlatans toured North America later that year with FC Kahuna as their support DJs, which is when I met Daniel and John of that duo, who became fast friends with me and still are to this day. I saw the Charlatans play five times that year, including a show at what was then called the Docklands Arena, now the O2 in London. They were having a major moment in the UK at the time, and seeing the difference in the crowd and the band's impact in their home country and the US, where it was a miracle they were still touring at all, was noticeable. I met up with them at an after party they were having at a hotel far away from the venue, and even that felt different. 
The following year, which was 1998, they were headlining the V Festival in Leeds and Reading. I was at the Leeds Festival to interview Underworld, and it was such a huge experience to see the Charlatans headlining such a big festival. They sounded so fantastic, the guys had come such a long way in their musicianship. I got to say hello to them before the show, and Tim told me they were on their way to LA after the festival. I was going to miss them here because I was still going to be in England. And that was the last time, for a long time, that I had a friendly exchange with Tim. On that LA tour date that I missed, Tim met some girl out here and ended up marrying her and going down a dark path. Even though he lived in LA for years, I rarely saw him and when I did, if she was around, he wouldn't speak to me. She and I were not on good terms from before she met him, so it was understandable that he would have to side with his wife and if she didn't like me and vice versa, that he wouldn't be friendly with me. But even so, I feel I was too young and too stupid to really understand the situation. And I was very hurt by it and then angry as Tim and I were really good friends before all this. One of my guy friends explained it to me at the time, but I had to grow into truly understanding and putting myself in Tim's shoes. Plus, this was the height of his substance abuse, so a lot of things can be chalked up to that. The entire time he was married, when an interview opportunity came up to promote a Charlton's album, he would always turn me down. Which was annoying and unprofessional, I thought, but looking back on it, I understand and it made sense for him at the time. So I stopped pitching the band for stories as magazines only want Tim's voice in the articles, and I just wrote album reviews instead. The Charlatans played Coachella during this time. The other members of the Charlatans had come to me at the hotel and invited me to hang out and showed me where they were set up and I said I would come over. But I didn't because I felt that was Tim's territory and even though I was friends with all of them, that I should leave him to it. It made me sad and mad all over again. FC Kahuna were also playing that Coachella. Daniel and I from FC Kahuna were going up to someone's hotel room after the festival and Tim was walking up to the elevator. Daniel pushed the door's close button before Tim got there. I told Daniel a long while later that I didn't know whether that was on purpose or not, but that it really saved me the discomfort of being with Tim in an enclosed space. And Daniel said he remembered it distinctly and that he had closed the doors on purpose. Tim's marriage didn't last, which honestly was not surprising, and he moved back to the UK. He got sober and wrote books about his experiences. He became a cultural icon. He put out solo albums as well as Charlatan's albums. John Brooks, the first charlatan I met, died, which was heartbreaking and very difficult to process. Our friends did fundraisers and posted pictures of him in hospital where he still looked like himself, friendly and mischievous. In 2018, the Charlatans played the Terragram Ballroom here in Los Angeles, and I asked their publicist for tickets. He said he would ask Tim to put me on the list, and I felt awkward about that. But Tim did put me on, and Lawrence and I went, and I went right to the edge of the stage because that's the only place I ever want to see the Charlatans. Tim came right up to me and stretched out his arms to me, and it made me both mad and reconnected. And just recently, we did our first interview since 1997. It was for the Charlatans' 30-year anniversary box set, and it was an emotional reunion, at least for me. I was nervous, but not a lot, and not for long. And just like the first time meeting the Charlatans when I felt like I had already known them forever, speaking to Tim felt like no time had passed and that we had never been disconnected. 
He had the same quirky ways of laughing about weird things and the same sweet way he has had with me and with everyone. And it was good to be back. Tell me where they go. Wind blows your hair. Rain wets your Tim said something about the Charlatans that really resonated with me, and that was, we kept together in many ways because of who we lost. You can read the whole article at floodmagazine.com, and it's linked at picturesoflily.com. I still absolutely love the Charlatans' music, old and new, and I still feel transcendent when I hear that early stuff that got me into them. In the next episode, which is our landmark 50th episode, I will be talking about my lifetime of experiences with Boy George. He was living in his car on the side of the road Like a crack pipe, Jesus, like a Satan soul from myself and my co-producer, director, editor, Lawrence Schroeder, thanks for listening. And if you have a chance to subscribe or follow the podcast on any of the podcast platforms, please do so and please rate and review. You can connect to us on picturesoflily.com and from there you can choose your preferred podcast platform or SoundCloud or YouTube or Pandora or Amazon. You can also find the playlist for the podcast episodes on Spotify and YouTube. There's also a Pictures of Lily newsletter that goes out when each podcast episode posts that you can subscribe to on picturesoflily.com. Thanks for listening. Pictures of Lily.